0: I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Hi there, welcome to The Pink Elephant podcast where we talk about the most undiscussed issue in the body of Christ today, that despite all we know, it seems like there is something missing in our faith experience. Well, I hope you enjoyed the last two episodes because in all honesty, I'm still thinking about them myself, but this month's episode might just be the episode I have prepared the most for in the history of the podcast. Yep, I've been reading, I've been researching for at least the last six months, so I hope it really speaks to you and I hope you can hear that I think that this is a really critical topic in the body of Christ today. But it also happens to be a little bit of a milestone. It's actually the 30th episode of the Pink Elephant podcast. Woohoo! Joel, have you got some kind of celebratory sound you can do here? I don't know. Anyway, you guys know know Joel, right? He's the editor for the podcast. Anyway, I actually think that's probably enough celebration. (laughs) I'm so serious, aren't I? Okay, well, let's talk about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is such a repulsive trait. I know we're supposed to love our enemies but surely Jesus would allow hypocrites to be the exception right I mean the truth is if I've ever had any person in my life that I could classify as an enemy it would be because the person is a hypocrite I mean even Jesus didn't really seem to like him like certainly the way he treated them sometimes well as is typical of this podcast this is not a topic I have ever heard preached and as you will soon discover That is a staggering point considering how much Jesus especially concerned himself with hypocrites. So in general, when we think of hypocrites in scripture, it's really hard not to think of the Pharisees. After all, the Pharisees are the prime targets of Jesus' comments about hypocrisy. The kind of matters Jesus pointed to when referring to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees was that they were outwardly demonstrating their piety, but inwardly they demonstrated no real commitment to the law and God. Their their piety was a display. They would give to the needy and announce it. They would pray to be seen. They would fast to show their obedience. But they weren't just or merciful. Their faith was only skin deep. They even modified aspects of the law for personal gain, and Jesus was not at all shy in calling out these behaviours. So in Luke 12 verse 1, Jesus makes this striking statement that ought to grab our attention. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This is such an interesting verse and I'll explain why. There are plenty of other verses in which Jesus is warning the disciples, advising them to beware of the Pharisees. But it's entirely possible to conclude that the warning is simply to alert them to the Pharisees' deceptive ways, as in, don't trust them. In this verse, Jesus is describing the hypocrisy in the Pharisees as yeast. Not to give you a science lesson, because I'm not really that great at science, but yeast is the stuff in bread that makes it rise. It's an unstoppable substance in the right conditions. When you put yeast into a mixture of like the bread and the flour and all that kind of stuff, the yeast actually feeds on the sugar in the flour and then releases carbon dioxide. And that's what actually accounts for the rising nature. So check out how effective yeast is, right? Cause I got nothing to do with yeast. So this is a story about my husband. My husband makes homemade pizzas and inevitably he puts yeast into the dough. And within one hour The dough doubles in size. I had to ask him about that to find out about that, by the way. See, Jesus was definitely warning the disciples. What he was actually warning them about was not to become like the Pharisees, not to become hypocrites. This is way more significant than simply not being deceived by their ways. He is warning them not to consume the yeast they have consumed because the yeast of hypocrisy grows. Now there's a good chance that you, like me, assumed that this growing nature, well, you know what, let's be more honest about it. The nature of yeast is not just that it grows, it grows by feeding on other substances, right? Well, you likely assumed that this speaks of how hypocrisy can permeate our own lives, overtaking us. And we typically would interpret passages like this in that individualistic way because of the culture we have grown up in. And this may be true, but if you listen to what Galatians 2 verse 13 says, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. See, Paul here is talking about Peter who began to separate himself from the Gentiles and others joined him in this act, including Barnabas. Paul calls this hypocrisy. This spreading nature of hypocrisy may not be about us as individuals as much as it is about the collective influence of one hypocrite in a community of authentic believers. You know, I've been a believer for many years now and I have never observed this warning against hypocrisy as though it were a temptation. When I've read those passages, I've thought of the kind of people, you know, other people, that might fit the bill of the description given of a hypocrite. But I've never wondered if I could in fact be a hypocrite and just how devastatingly bad that could be for my entire life and future and those around me if even one iota of that yeast of hypocrisy were in me. Hypocrisy is our responsibility for ourselves. We are warned to prevent hypocrisy. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 says, "'Therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. It has a different weight to it now, doesn't it? And this is how hypocrisy could be given such a prominent place in a verse like this. This is how Jesus can claim that he never knew those who healed in his name in Matthew 7 verse 22. The broader context of that passage is that Jesus has been warning them against false prophets, narrow gates, and of course, hypocrisy. So it is absolutely critical that we understand this concept because it would seem that even our salvation is at stake according to Matthew 7. Even Matthew 24, 51 states, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Besides the fact that that's a little bit gruesome, this verse, the context of it is a parable. But it is concerning that hypocrites are noted to be assigned to a place that sounds an awful lot like hell. So what is hypocrisy? The word hypocrite is derived from the Greek term hypakrites, which means actor or stage player. In other words, a hypocrite is one who pretends or fakes. Now, I wonder why anyone would need to fake faith. And we'll answer that question a little bit later, but let's just try to understand the nature of hypocrisy itself a little bit more. For starters, for hypocrisy to occur, there has got to be some kind of misalignment or inconsistency between the external appearance and the inner workings of the heart. It doesn't necessarily mean it is on purpose. In fact, I would argue that most hypocrites are painfully unaware of their hypocrisy That might actually be made obvious from how surprised they act when they are confronted about their hypocrisy, like the Pharisees often reacted. But of course, Jesus demonstrates that hypocrisy is not really hidden to others at all, especially not God. The only person hypocrisy seems to be hidden to is the individual perpetrating the hypocrisy, which is one of the most critical things to know about hypocrisy. It is a self-deception. When you're a hypocrite, you're actually convinced that you are doing the right thing and that your faith is genuine. In this way, I find hypocrisy quite scary. The idea that I might just not know that I'm a total hypocrite. Look, in truth, we all are unaware to a degree of things in our life. And in some cases, we have denied them. It's not being unaware that makes us hypocrites. It's when we are faking it. And the faking may be unintentional or intentional. Ordinarily, I would presume that Jesus would have some grace for those unintentional things, but it's kind of weird. We don't see him behaving graciously in the way that he treats the Pharisees. So I guess we probably shouldn't presume that just because we may have unintentional hypocrisy that we're off the hook. And certainly this could be the reason for Jesus's frequent reminders and cautions about hypocrisy. We aren't supposed to excuse it we are supposed to be vigilant against it. Now, we should all be significantly concerned based on this description, because I think if we are being honest, we all know we fake faith just a little bit. We aren't completely honest about who we are and the degree of challenge we experience in our faith. And sometimes we absolutely fake our faith in front of others to seem more spiritual, to protect ourselves, and even to avoid being judged, which aren't all bad reasons. And Aren't we simply just using discernment when we are careful about sharing? Yes, you're right. But there is more to this, so I'm going to keep going. There are two relationships we must observe when it comes to hypocrisy. There is an interplay between hypocrisy and judgment, and there is an interplay between hypocrisy and pride. In Matthew 7 verses 1 to 5, we can see a little bit of the relational nature between hypocrisy and judgment. So Jesus in verse 1 starts by saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. Right, so he's talking about judgment. He then goes on in verse 4 and 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus considered it hypocritical to be preoccupied with the sin of others when there was sin in one's own life, and especially if you asserted superiority over others for it. And certainly this is the problem with judgment. Kreno, the Greek word here translated as judgment, means to distinguish, to separate or to discriminate. It implies a critical spirit. This passage is not suggesting that we remove discernment or that We ought not make determinations upon a person's life. I mean, we do participate within a legal system. It's not saying that we aren't to exercise good judgment. But what he is talking about is having a judgmental attitude. Jesus is calling the person with a judgmental attitude a hypocrite. So at the very least, we can see that he couples these two together in this instance. Similarly, with pride, there is a relationship. The scriptures don't tell us a bucket load about how pride and hypocrisy interact, but it does give hints. In Matthew 6 verse 2, Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. The important statement here is to be honoured by others. You know, we all want to be honoured in the sense that we all want to be respected. But this is talking about public honour, about reputation and self glory. Now, to me, self glory sounds a lot like pride. So let's go a little bit deeper. Why is hypocrisy such a problem? Why does it demand this kind of attention? Hypocrisy is not really an unknown pink elephant in the church, if we're being honest. We've all heard non-believers remark on the Christian hypocrisy and for the most part we're too busy defending the church to really consider whether that description is true. In some cases we know it's true. But herein lies the problem with hypocrisy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually transformative. It doesn't need additions or embellishment or exaggerations to accomplish the transformative power it inherently has but hypocrisy misrepresents the value of the gospel it is at best a superficial adjustment which is not a transformation at all we aren't doing god any favors when we can only present a superficial change and we aren't doing ourselves any favors either since we then fail to experience the fullness of the gospel We miss the true power of the gospel when we accept the superficial over the inner transformation. So that's the first point. Hypocrisy nullifies the real power of the gospel. The second reason hypocrisy is such a significant problem is because on the surface, a person with hypocrisy looks religious. They actually look like someone who's really faithful, which is what makes it so deceptive. But there's actually no truth in how they live. And you won't know that for certain unless you get really close, like close enough to see the truth. And often hypocrites are really good at keeping you at a distance. Hypocrisy is really difficult to detect, not just in others, but in ourselves. With just enough inconspicuous walls, a hypocrite can keep the truth hidden. So I want to ask you one more question before we get really deep. If hypocrisy is so significant to Jesus, why aren't we more preoccupied with it? Why is it not one of the most preached topics and why haven't more people taken the time to work out how we combat this subtle enticer? Why are we so busy defending the church against the claims the world makes about a hypocrisy instead of working out how we ensure that hypocrisy is so far from the church and Christianity as Peter, Paul and Jesus implored? To answer that, we need to understand why it happens. Why would anyone need to fake faith? Why would hypocrisy be attractive, especially when you consider how repulsed most of us are by it? Let's return to Luke 12, where Jesus warns the disciples against the yeast of hypocrisy. When you read this passage, it would seem that there are some obscure ideas that Jesus talks about after that fact. By that I mean they don't immediately seem to like naturally flow within the overarching theme of hypocrisy. So starting in verse 1, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. So when someone tells you don't do this or be careful, usually thereafter is the explanation of why this advice is important and and why it needs to be observed. So for example, don't touch the stove, dot, 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 because you'll get hurt. So in this passage, Jesus on the surface seems to lead into an obscure point. That point is that nothing is ultimately hidden, that those things which one conceals will be made known. Now that we understand a bit about hypocrisy we have a bit better understanding as to how this relates. Jesus's first why is that if there is a disconnect between the inner and the outer self if there is pretense in our faith it will be revealed it will not stay hidden. So whilst this might explain the reason to heed Jesus's warning about hypocrisy it doesn't necessarily tell us why We would even be tempted by hypocrisy in the first place. So let's continue. Verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The focal point of this verse is fear. When Jesus is saying to fear God, the passage implies that this is in opposition to some other fear. It is as though fearing God is the antonym to fearing something else. So, what is the something else? Verse 4 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. See, Galatians 2 tells us the reason why Peter withdrew from the Gentiles. He did so because he was afraid of those in the circumcision group. It says so in verse 12. You can go look it up yourself. So many of the occasions in which Jesus is chastising hypocrites, he is pointing out their preoccupation with appearances at the expense of genuine faithfulness and obedience. Hopefully this is all coming together for you now. Hypocrisy stems from a fear of man over a fear of God. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. Hypocrisy stems from a fear of man. It is our concern for others and their opinion of us that breeds hypocrisy. Scripture tells us this so often. Proverbs 29 verse 25, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Isaiah 51 verse 12 says, So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Galatians 1.10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people-pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Deuteronomy 1.7 says, Never fear men, because judgment belongs to God. When I've heard these kinds of verses, they're often preached in reference to evangelizing and sharing the gospel with non-believers. But most, if not all of the context we've heard so far, pertain to the people of God. The hypocrisy began out of concern for what other believers thought. In the case of Peter in the book of Galatians, his fear was caused by the circumcised group. The circumcised group were Christians. It's more often the fear of other Christians that drives the behavior to fake our Christianity because we know how harshly Christians can judge, even our own Christian friends. Here, let me prove it to you. Assuming that you swear, I know many of you don't, but if you were to swear, this is a hypothetical situation, if you were to swear, who would you most likely do it in front of? Your Christian friends or your non-Christian friends? And you can't say neither, okay? And you also can't say, I don't swear. Again, this is a hypothetical. Who would it be in front of if you were to swear? My guess is most of you said your non-Christian friends. So here's the truth. A lot of Christians swear. And I've heard just as many pastors and leaders swear as I have heard congregants. Side note, I don't know what it is about me, but for some reason people like really want to swear in front of me, pastors and leaders included. Now I should clarify, I'm not the cause of their swearing. They aren't swearing at me and it's not because I'm swearing and they're just trying to keep up with me either, but they just seem to relax around me and suddenly the expletives fly. It must be this first generation vibes I give off, you know, they probably figure I've been around the traps or something. Anyway, look, I'm getting so sidetracked. To be honest, Swearing doesn't really bother me. I've listened to swearing all my life. I haven't had a choice. The point I'm trying to make here is that we're often faking our faith for the benefit of other believers more than our non-Christian friends. That's how so many Christians will often say they feel safer with their non-Christian friends than their Christian friends. Now, I can't help but feel like this is such a sad state of affairs. We are more concerned about being judged by one another in Christian community than even by the world how does this happen? I'll tell you how. Some yeast got into the dough a long time ago and we're all paying for it and worse yet we're continuing the cycle. This is why I have a soft spot for people deconstructing because I can see that they're just reacting to the hypocrisy they've seen in Christian community and they've decided they don't want to be a part of it anymore. Can we really blame them for that? The main difference between them and myself is that somewhere deep down inside, I still have faith that things could change. This is why I can handle swearing. It's why one of my values as a leader is to be so approachable, approachable enough that any Christian could tell me their worst and most shameful thoughts, actions and choices and know that I won't judge them because I don't want any Christian to have to fake their faith for me. The proof that hypocrisy stems from a fear of man is this. When a person genuinely fears God, they care deeply about not being a hypocrite. They care about the truth being the truth. They don't care about how things look. They care about how things actually are. We see this in the life of David when he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me in Psalm 51 verse 10. The most devastating idea to David in this part of his life was that his heart may not be genuine. Whatever it took, he was willing for God to make his heart sincere. Something weird that I do, which I know isn't for everyone, is I deliberately follow people like on Instagram and social media who hate Christians. Because people who hate Christians are really good at pointing out our inconsistencies. And when I see those inconsistencies pointed out, oh so poignantly and so, so critically, I don't excuse the Christian world. I don't defend us. I reflect on its truth. I reflect on its truth in me. I have been hateful when I was supposed to show Jesus' love that came for the sick, not the well, who loved the world so much that he gave his whole being to torture and sacrifice that all might, just might, Be saved just for the sheer opportunity that a solution existed. I confront that hypocrisy in me and I don't let myself run from it because I want to be a follower who cares about how things are, not just how they look. All right, we're coming close to an end here. So now we understand that hypocrisy stems from a fear of man and not God. What is the pink elephant where we have lacked depth in our understanding on this subject? Number one, we are in real trouble. We care all too much about what other believers think. We care too much about what everyone thinks. The fear of man is our pandemic. How often are we making choices about our lives completely based on the opinion of others? Everything from attire to whether you should stay at a church, whether you serve in this area or that area, whether we buy the expensive car or the cheap car. Most, if not all of it, stems from the fear of man. There are Christians who are working in business who are called to work in a church, but the fear of man stops them. There are Christians who are working in pastoral ministry who have not been called to it and instead probably should go and work in the business world because that's what they're called to. They stay, though, because of the fear of man. There are Christian kids that are faking their faith every day because of the fear of their parents. There are believers struggling every day on the edge of life and you'll never know it till it's too late because of the fear of man. Even those harsh preachers who are like super self-righteous that seem like the type that don't care what others think are absolutely driven by the opinions and honour of others. Here's the thing about the fear of man and hypocrisy. If you are successful at looking outwardly righteous and you get enough affirmation and reward for it, you start to believe your own press. You start to believe that you are more righteous and better than everyone and you deserve your prominence. You revel in self-glory because you are proud. Is this not what happened to the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a group of people deeply committed to the law they developed almost in opposition to the Sadducees who were the rightful Levite priests but were completely dishonouring the laws of God. There is historical literature that mentions the Sadducees not observing the Sabbath and living it up with their elite friends. The Pharisees rebelled against the Sadducees' observance of the law. They offered some hope to the people of God because they spoke of true biblical values. The Pharisees were popular amongst the people. They were praised praised. They were honoured, but at some point they started to believe themselves to be greater than they were. The glory became more important than the laws and the truth. When you become successful in a righteousness that is motivated by the fear of man, eventually you believe your own press and arrogance and pride are bred out of that combination. You start to care less about people because you think that you're better than them. We are in a great deal of mess when it comes to this fear of man. We are willing to compromise a lot for it as believers. Number two, the fear of man often comes disguised in our own voice. I've literally heard so many believers tell me that they stayed in a situation like a church or a job or a relationship, which I know is a little bit more complex, for way longer than they ought to because they wanted to be the kind of person who, you know, doesn't give up or who is faithful or servant-hearted or whatever narrative they told themselves. You know, in general, we do have a high-ish standard of ourselves as believers. We expect ourselves to be something at times that we actually aren't. It's not wrong for us to persist and stretch, but sometimes it's these self-identifying statements that are motivating our actions and not at all the will of God. We stick with something because we want to believe something about ourselves. It's about our identity, not God's will. So here's the thing. Where do you think those self-identifying statements come from? They are often an accumulation of what we've heard other people say over the course of our life and their judgments of what it means to be faithful, servant-hearted, or ultimately to be Christian, so if those self-identifying statements ultimately come from someone else's judgment of what it means to be a Christian or faithful or all those other things, doesn't that mean that we are actually still motivated by a fear of man, that we have simply appropriated the opinions of others as though it were our own? When it comes to doing God's will, why would I think myself unfaithful if I'm following him? Does what I think about myself in this circumstance even really matter? No, of course not. But see, the truth is when we are doing God's will, it's not really our own voice that questions our faithfulness. It's the voice of others disguised as our own. We are making a judgment on how faithful or unfaithful we look according to what we've heard others say it is. We're projecting that criterion onto ourselves, not necessarily God's criterion. Let me tell you a brief story. I was working at a church for about six months, right, and it was going pretty good, but for some reason, I don't know, to this day, I don't know, God made it really clear that he wanted me to quit. Now, I knew that I needed to obey God, but I also knew exactly what those church pastors were going to think of me because the judgments came disguised as my own voice, unreliable, flaky, inconsistent, not leaning in, But I absolutely, 100% knew that this was what God wanted me to do. So I just had to wear it. Because even though it was difficult, I wanted to obey God regardless of what kind of reputation it gave me in the sight of others. And that God would only ask me time and again to lay down my reputation if it meant I feared him. Just like Hosea or Mary Or any other person in scripture that obeyed God in spite of what their peers would say about them. Number three, if hypocrisy stems from a fear of man over a fear of God, it indicates a few other things about the person who is tempted to hypocrisy. Why would we fear man? We fear man because we need their praise and approval, because we are unsure of ourselves, because We don't want to be rejected by them because we don't want to be abandoned by them. So really hypocrisy is effective at tempting because of insecurity which means again we're in real trouble. It means the person you know and can't stand because of how much of a hypocrite they are are actually a deeply insecure person who has needed the acceptance of man to survive because they don't feel very good about themselves. And that big prominent preacher who was cruel and arrogant started out just like the rest of us, insecure, unsure, lacking in identity, self-doubting and in need of the acceptance of man to feel good about themselves. I want to close with this last thing. The fear of God is the only answer to this fear of man. Imagine a scale that measures weights. On one side is the fear of God and on the other is the fear of man. This scale is not meant to be balanced and the fear of man is definitely not meant to weigh more than the fear of God. The only way this scale ends up right is if the fear of God is so heavy that the fear of man has been elevated so high that you can't even see if it's still there. That's the only way we counteract this problem we become vigilant about our own hypocrisy. We stop hiding, we stop pretending, we stop saying things to control what people think of us. We stop being cautious because someone's gonna judge us. Let them judge you, they'll answer to God for that anyway. Be honest about where you are with Christ and don't apologize for it. Let Christ be the one who takes the lead on your sanctification. But even more than that, Be a part of the solution to this vicious cycle the Christian world is in. Be to others what Christ has been to you, gracious, loving, and safe. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com.